This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. What we're doing tonight is incredibly important because not only is it teaching all of us something about where we are now, but it is... It is laying cornerstones and building blocks to who God has for you to be in the future. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We have been inching our way through Colossians. We have been savoring every verse. And I don't know about you, but it has been life-giving for me. Chapter 3. But to open up, I wanted to kind of get you thinking a little bit. There is a continuing battle between me and our three children's pastors that we've had in my time here. And we've always butted heads. And for some reason, every one of the children's pastors here like to work in a near frigid environment. And personally, I have trouble typing wearing a parka. And there's like icicles hanging off my nose, my eyelashes, and, and the battle commences in the office between me and the children's pastor. It's sort of like no man's land. And it, it takes place on this tiny little screen on the wall in that center office, the thermostat. And think about the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. A thermometer reacts to its environment. The mercury inside becomes the temperature of whatever the atmosphere is, a thermostat actually pumps air in using the air conditioner or the heater to change the environment. It has to do that. It's going to introduce air that is completely contrary to the air currently in the room to affect change. And Paul has been talking through Colossians that those who are in Christ, those who are believers that have given their lives to Jesus Christ, have spiritually died with him, been buried with him, and then resurrected as brand new creations. Totally new people. And Christ in their lives changes the environments that they're in. They have put off, like dirty clothes, put off their old ways, their old priorities, their old sins, their old vices, and they have put on, like new clothes, the character of Christ. Compassion and forgiveness and kindness and love. And now they step into every other aspect of their lives because Christians are in the world, but we're not of the world. We still have mortgages and we go to schools and we have friends and work and we have bills to pay. We, we definitely live in the world, but now we are no longer of it. And so Paul is calling believers to be not thermometers to their environments, but having put on Christ, they become thermostats in their environments. And he's going to take the scope, he's going to take this telescope of vision, and he's going to zoom in on the family, on the home. Why? Why would he start there? The family is the most critical building block of society. Even more importantly, it's the most critical building block of the church, of God's people. So let's dive in. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 17. We ended here two weeks ago. Verse 17. 
And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Everything that we do, we are doing it as representatives of Jesus Christ. People will know his character by seeing the character of his people. Now, this verse applies to everything that came before, but it also applies to everything coming beneath it. It is a hinge verse. And now he's going to take a look at the family. Everything in our lives is now under the lordship of Christ. Lordship, Lord meaning master, as in the God, Jesus, is the master of our lives. But before we jump into the family, the way that the Bible describes it, I want to give you kind of a snapshot of what the society was that Paul was writing his letter to. Colossae was a Roman city. And Rome had a very different perspective on family than we do, the way the house should be run. The father was not the head of the home. He was the tyrant of the home. He had full power. He had what was called pater familias, which means his absolute power over the household. He had the legal right to abandon children. He could sell his children or even kill them. Wives were like second-tier citizens, and children were on the same level as the slaves, and slaves were treated like dogs, like animals. And this was, this was the hierarchy of the Roman household. And the wives were expected to be sexually exclusive to their husbands, faithful to their husbands, but there was no society expectation for the husbands to be faithful to their wives. It was commonplace for husbands to have extramarital affairs with other women or even other men. This was the Roman society. And it was these husbands, these wives, and these children who only knew this culture, who had lived this way in the culture, that the gospel of Jesus is transforming. These are the homes that Paul's letter is being introduced in, that it's making waves in, that it's changing the very fabric of how they think. And Paul wants them to understand that if any member in the household has been renewed by Christ, their relationships at home will change. They are now a thermostat living, and they are counter to their cultural environment. They wake up differently. They walk in the door differently. They serve differently. They deal with conflict differently. They discipline differently. They rest differently. They work differently. Everything about their home life changes because of Jesus being involved. And Paul starts with the wife and gets real practical. So let's start with verse 17 again, and we'll read through verse 18. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So wives, doing everything in the name of Jesus, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. So God has appointed wives to honor their husband's leadership. Well, not only does that go against Roman understanding of wives being in this deep subservience, but it also goes against our kind of culture today. But follow with me. Stay with me. Notice that he doesn't say this is fitting to society. He doesn't say this is what works best logistically. He doesn't say this is what's fitting to personalities or fitting to your opinion. He's really bold and says, actually, wives, submit to your husbands. This is what's fitting to the Lord. This is the structure the Lord has set up for the, the family. Submitting to her husband isn't based on whether he makes her feel good or not, whether he buys her nice gifts or not, has kind words or not. Submitting to her husband is based on what is honoring and pleasing to the Lord. 
And he's making it clear that the true authority that she's submitting to is not her husband. It's to the Lord. And the way that she does that practically is she submits to her husband. Now, this is a big difference. Follow me just a little bit longer if I've lost you already. If you're like, whoa, flinch, stay with me. Contrast this to Roman society because to them, the woman was second tier and subservient. Paul has actually just grabbed her and pulled her up to say, no, you are equal with your husband. In Roman society, he's a steamroller and she's the doormat. But because of Jesus, he has changed her status. Don't forget Colossians 3.11 that we looked at just a few weeks ago. He says in 3.11 that there is no longer Greek or Jew. There's no longer circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. There are no longer less thans. And he's also talking about his verse in Galatians where he's repeating himself and he says there's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, no longer male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Her being a new creation in Christ has actually leveled the playing field. She's not subservient. She's not second tier anymore. In fact, her submission to her husband has nothing to do with roles or a hierarchy. It has to do with her willingness out of her own choice not because it's pressed on her, not because he's the boss and she's the servant, but because she is willingly submitting. They are on the same tier now. The Bible never, ever presents women as inferior in any sort of value or dignity. Her status in Christ is equal. Christianity does present husbands and wives as having different roles, but different roles is not the same as inequality. Now, why is this important? to God that her status is equal? Why is it important that her submission is willing? First, in a Christian home, she has a voice. She's the glue of the family. She's the discipler of her children. A biblical husband makes her his number one advisor and a partner and creates an atmosphere where her God-given giftings can thrive and be a blessing to their family. What does a strong biblical woman look like? On your own time, go check out Proverbs 31. Read through that. There is not an inkling of her being trapped or weak or a doormat. In fact, the Proverbs 31 woman operates with more strength and more authority than most men in our society today. The Bible works and seeks to elevate women. And so right here in Colossians, if you're reading the rest of chapter 3 in Galatians, you see that Paul takes women and puts them on equal standing with men and then asks them to willingly submit to their husbands. Secondly, consider the unity that a wife brings to her family when the man no longer has any rights to force her to submit. But she, out of a submissive loving heart to the Lord, chooses to honor her husband and follow his leadership. Consider her leadership by example to their children. What will that teach them about God-appointed authorities in their lives? What will it teach them about submitting to Jesus and submitting to Scripture? There's this neat ministry that I learned about a couple weeks ago. It's called Bator Tabor. And the reason that it sounds so funny is that it's in Europe. It's actually in Eastern Europe. In 2020, when COVID shut down everything, this nonprofit organization 
which always funded themselves by fundraising, were no longer able to go and do face-to-face contact to raise funds. And they had 60-plus members on their staff. Now, Bachelor Taber, if I'm saying that correctly, they're an incredible organization. They visit hospitals where kids are. They give therapeutic recreation. They put camps out for kids with health challenges, with severe health challenges. And they are multinational. They have programs in Hungary, Poland, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic. But when the shutdowns happened, they knew they weren't going to be able to pay their employees. And so right away, all the administration decided to take a 20 to 30% cut in pay. And if you know anything about a nonprofit organization, you already know that they're barely making it, surviving on the, the salary that they have. And right away, they said, we want to keep as many employees as we can. We're going to take cuts. And still, it wasn't enough. So they went to the employees and said, we're going to have to. We're going to have to cut salaries across the board. And anonymously, 15 people came to the administration and said, cut our salaries first to try to keep people. What hearts. Finally, they came to the point where they had to let go of 10 people. But those 10 people, a bunch of them, got together with those who were still on staff, using up their own time, no longer paid, and fundraised for the organization that fired them. Why? Their purpose wasn't a paycheck. Their purpose for showing up every day was because this is their ministry. This is their calling to visit kids in the hospital, to put on these camps, to serve their community. What does it say about a wife who submits because she has to? It's like an employee that shows up for a paycheck. They're there because it's their job. But what does it say about a wife who, being equal with her husband, chooses to graciously submit to his leadership? It's just like those, those ministers of Bachelor Taber. It was their ministry. And by the way, that means camp of courage. That's kind of cool. So why is it important to God that her status is equal, but her submission is willing? It's because being a wife and a mother is no longer a job. It's her ministry. And her service isn't to her husband, it's to the Lord. And it's because of God's instruction to her husband that she is, oh, get this. It's because of what God's going to teach the husband coming up. That this is the safest possible environment for her to risk submitting and letting someone lead. So a wife's new identity in Christ acts like a thermostat, creating purposeful structure in the home, a willing unity in the family, and a contagious sense of humility and self-sacrifice. How does she do it? Through godly submission, giving the husband the ability to bring strong leadership and sets up the whole family for success to thrive. All right, now I made a big statement. I made the statement that this was the safest place and the place that she could thrive the most by risking submission. Let me show you why. Colossians 3.19, let's keep going. Let's start in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You're like, well, wait a minute. That's not very much a, a, a notebook on how to be a husband. It's pretty simple and straightforward, right? No, there's depth here. Paul is commanding them to lead lovingly, to put off harshness, to put off resentfulness, to create a safe and loving and secure environment for her. But he doesn't say, speak kindly to your wives. He doesn't say, give them gifts. He doesn't even say, be faithful to them, which is definitely all-inclusive. 
But what he does say is to love them. And he also doesn't say love them if they're sweet. Love them if they're submissive. Love them if they always look cute. No, he says love them. And it speaks volumes. Because biblical love has nothing to do with emotion. He doesn't say feel really emotional about your wives. That's not biblical love. He says to love them. The context here is critical because husbands are in Christ. They are to love like the love of Christ. What does that look like? It looks like Colossians 3.12, which we just covered. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Husbands, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be compassionate. You're going to have kindness, humility, meekness, patience. You're going to bear with her. And if you have a complaint, you're going to forgive her. But he goes even further than that because Ephesians 5 has the same conversation by Paul and he includes one little caveat that you need to know if you're going to be a husband someday. Ephesians 5, 22 through 28. I'm going to read 22 and then I'm going to jump to 25. Husbands sum, or wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Sounds familiar. Husbands, listen. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. So husbands, you're to love your wives. How? You love her like Jesus loved the people of God. Think about that. How did Jesus love the church? You see, throughout the Bible, there's this relationship. Jesus is, is referred to as the bridegroom and the church, us, God's people, capital C Church, around the world church, is seen as the bride. And what did it take to bring the bride to the wedding? What did it take to bring a connection between Christ and his people? What was Jesus willing to do? He went to the cross. He sacrificed totally and completely for his people. It was a complete exchange of himself for them. How does he lead? He leads in the best interest of his people. And what was he willing to hold back? Nothing. How does a husband love his wife? He loves her sacrificially. His leadership of her is servant leadership. Being in Christ means his status has changed too. He doesn't get to be a tyrant. He doesn't get to be a king in his little kingdom. He's not the head of the house anymore. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, The head of every man is Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the house now, and he is completely submitting to Christ so that he will love his wife like, like Christ loves his wife. This is huge. It is a total reversal of the expectation. He is to lead her as an equal with a willing love, a choosing love, a continuous love with a complete self-denial. His love isn't expressed in emotion. His love is expressed in self-sacrifice for his family. There are very few wives that would struggle to submit to a man who is giving everything for her. That's in an environment where she's safe, where she can thrive, where she can give her all because she knows that the one that she is being led by is being led by a Jesus who teaches him to sacrifice. What a beautiful chemistry God is setting up. A husband's new identity in Christ acts like a thermostat, creating an atmosphere where there's safety, structure, and direction, clear leadership, and an, and an example of Christ. Through godly self-sacrifice, seeing love 
which prioritizes his wife and his children over himself, he's creating fertile ground for his family to thrive. Two notes. Notice to husbands, future husbands, future wives in the room, notice that he doesn't qualify his instruction on you do for them if they're doing for you. He doesn't say, wives, submit if your husband is leading well. He doesn't say, husbands, lead sacrificially if she's submitting well. He just says, submit and love, period. Where thermostats, you may someday be in an environment where you're contrasting the atmosphere so that you'll be a thermostat. Choose well so that you don't have to. The second note is, what if only one spouse is saved? And Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians 7.12. He encourages believers not to divorce because there's one Christian and one non-Christian. Listen to why. He says, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? What's he saying? He's saying, be a thermostat. Walk in obedience to the Lord in your role and watch what God can do. God's assignments are different from the cultural atmosphere for both spouses. There's no peace or fulfillment in eroding God's design for marriage. Maximum fulfillment and peace comes from a wife in Christ who offers loving submission to a husband in Christ who offers loving leadership. And then Paul turns the scope from the husband and wife and he swings it around to something a lot more close to your hearts. Verse 20, children, did you guys? The word children here is not age-specific. Anyone living under the authority of parents and in the home, that's who he's talking to. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Don't throw anything at me. At home, in my house, we have some Ferone house rules. Some of those rules include the dog is not a tunnel. The times we have to say that. The dog hates being a tunnel. No trust falls off the deck box. That was recently instated. Blood, bad. No swinging from the curtains. Oh, and here's a personal favorite. No chewing on electrical outlets. Multiple kids have, yeah, it's terrible. My kids hate these rules. They're absolutely sure if mom and dad would just let them do what they want to do, then everything's going to be good. Now, look, you're not little kids like my kids. But I'd, I wonder if sometimes you get the feeling that's similar to theirs of, if I could just get out from underneath mom and dad, if I could just be free from the rule, I can't wait to graduate, can't wait to get out of school, then I'm finally going to have the ever-elusive freedom. It's not out there. You only exchange one authority for another. But maybe you feel like that sometimes. This grasp, this, this longing for freedom, and maybe it's that longing for freedom that maybe tempts you to date someone behind your parents' back. Maybe it tempts you to push boundaries, to, to fight against whatever it is that they're trying to make you do to compromise a little here and to push back there. If only we could get out of the lousy structure, there's freedom. 
But whether my kids like it or not, we have been appointed by God to be their authorities. It's our role to create a healthy structure, a home for them, to stretch and grow and thrive until the day of their autonomy. That's the role of parents. And God supports this role, whether we like it or not, whether I liked it when I was a teenager, whether you guys like it, God supports this role of children throughout all of Scripture, from page two through the rest of the Bible. It's one of his Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Proverbs 1.8, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Throughout the Bible, God is consistent. But Paul is doing something really extraordinary here that you might not have caught. Right here in Colossians 3, verse 20, he is treating even dependent children as Christ's disciples. He's elevating their status too. He's grabbing them and lifting them up and saying, you are on footing with your parents. And God has a higher expectation of you than he does all the children around you in society. Elevate. God has a higher expectation of you than he does your friends that aren't believers. He is calling you up to a higher stage of maturity. And that stage of maturity, though it just sounds just like a rule, you got to do what your parents tell you to do, is not the maturity I'm pushing for. The maturity I'm pushing for is that you're looking past your parents. You are obeying your parents because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That you are actually submitting to Jesus' authority in your life. And because of his authority in your life, you're willing to obey your parents. That's a level of maturity that might be hard to wrap your minds around, but that's what you're doing right now. That's what God is calling you to do, to begin to think past your parents to who you're worshiping through your obedience, and that's your God. Romans 13, 1-2 says, There is no authority except from God, and those that do exist have been instituted by God. Colossians doesn't say obey parents because it pleases parents, but because it pleases God. It's not a challenge to obey because of your relationship with your parents, but because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only scriptural limits to a parent's authority in your life is when they ask you to go against God's word. Children, obey your parents. This is pleasing to the Lord. A son or a daughter who is in Christ and submitted to Christ through obedience becomes a thermostat. God has designed the family to be a place of unity, of joy, of fulfillment, of encouragement, support, justice, and peace. You're not building these into your family whenever you're disconnecting from your parents. And you're not building these things in your family when you're rebelling against your parents. But unity, peace, thriving comes when you're willing to submit to Jesus Christ through obeying your parents. And Jesus is your number one example. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says that Jesus emptied himself, becoming a servant. Actually, the word is doulos, a slave. Even to the point of death, Jesus submitted to his father. John 5, 19, Jesus says, I don't do anything that I don't see my father doing. What is that? It's his submission, that the father is leading him. Maybe you're thinking, and this is valid. My parents are really flawed. And I'll be honest with you. If what's going on at home is abuse, you need to tell somebody. 
But apart from that, the reality is we're all flawed parents. I am a very flawed parent. I would be embarrassed to tell you stories of how flawed I am. But a child who's mature enough to look past their parents' flaws to Jesus actually has a huge step up. Think about this. Think about a parent whose child is fighting them, so they have to pick them up and carry them. If the parent trips in their flaws, who's going to take the hit? Both of them, right? The parent trips, they're both going down. But if there is a child who is willingly allowing the parent to lead them by the hand and the parent trips, the child takes a lot less of a hit because they're moving in the same direction with a willing child. If you're willing to say, I will submit to my parents because I'm being obedient to Jesus Christ, then your parents' flaws will not affect you in the same way because you are looking past them. Your obedience to them is because of your love for Jesus. And their flaws will come and go. And guess what? You're going to have flaws too. And you're going to set up your future children and you right now are set up for success if you'll take on the maturity of worshiping Jesus through how you treat your parents. If you've ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? Here's a good start right here, obeying your parents. That's God's will for your life right now. A son or daughter's new identity in Christ acts like a thermostat, creating an atmosphere where the parent's structure is supported and the unity is grown. How? Through your allegiance to Christ and self-sacrificing obedience to your parents, giving them the opportunity to lead without resistance so the family has potential to thrive. And just like the safest place for a wife to submit is with a loving husband, the safest place for you to submit is with loving parents. And Paul swings the scope over to parents. Let's keep going. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers is better translated as parents. And Paul says almost the exact same thing in Ephesians 6.4. In the same way, husbands are to lead lovingly to create a safe atmosphere for their wives. Parents are to lead lovingly to create a safe and loving atmosphere for their children. Provoke means exasperate, stir up, irritate, to inflame. What's he saying? He's saying discipline with loving justice, where the consequence fits the crime, and it's far from abuse. Parenting without love creates bitterness and division. But when it's just, it directs children to Christ. It creates unity and trains children in righteousness. Parents who are in Christ don't just want good behavior. They are striving to raise disciples. They don't just want good behavior. They're striving to raise disciples of Jesus. Paul is again redefining roles in the household. The father who used to have total authority to sell children, to kill their own children if they're disobedient and anger him, he's now saying, don't be harsh. Be cautious of them. Yes, you're going to have to curb their will, but support their spirit. Support their direction. You're raising disciples. Jesus, talking in Mark 10, says that those who have the greatest authority have the greatest responsibility to serve. Parents aren't to live unilaterally for their own interests. They have a weighty and difficult responsibility to serve their children with self-sacrificing love. Y'all still with me? 
Back in 2011, the Miami Heat basketball team, they were really pumped. By the end of their recruiting, they had three superhero basketball players. They had LeBron James. Does anyone remember this? Chris Bosh, and they had Dwight or Dwayne Wade, monsters in the basketball realm. And at this big press conference, the three of them are sitting on stage, and they're just bragging. Oh, yeah, they are God's gift to Florida, essentially. And the commentator says something effective like, so you're, you're, you're not going to just win one championship together. And, and LeBron James goes, absolutely not. We're not going to win two championships we're not going to win three championships. We're not going to win four. We're not going to win five or six or seven. And the crowd's like, ah! They're all going crazy and they're all laughing. <laughs> High fives. I mean, they were the stuff. They were God's gift of basketball. The problem was that teams function really well when you have one, the man. When there's a clear leader. When there's clear structure. When there's an inspiration brought by the one guy. And now we have a team who's awkwardly trying to play with three kings. And they did well. They made it to the championships. But they get to the championship game and they go up against an underdog. They go up against the Mavericks who had one clear leader. Dirk, I'm, I'm going to pronounce his name terribly. Who can say it? Dirk? Nowitzki. Thank you. I'm not going to stumble all over this. Nowitzki. Did I say it? And I still missed it. And what happens when they get against the Mavericks? This crazy underdog team, the three kings are supposed to come out and dominate, and they lose. It was this great example of people outside of their roles versus everyone having clear roles. Diana Williams, a woman that Elisa Childers interviewed, they were talking about wives submitting and how countercultural that is in our feministic age, and this is what she has to say about it. God will hold us accountable to the way we patterned our lives based on the instruction he gave us. It's upside down for us to trample biblical instruction for the sake of modern philosophies, feminism, and cultural interpretations. God has designed the family the way he has in a beautiful way. And when we try to rebel against this design, when you're rebelling against your parents, when husbands are trying to just drive over their wives. When we break this scripture, when we're out of our roles, it's only going to bring division. There's going to be an unsettledness about it. But when everyone puts their eyes on Christ and their worship is serving Christ through submitting to God's rules, to God's roles, it brings huge blessing. And it only takes one to make a difference, one to be a thermostat. The influence which one intentional believer in their family can make cannot be calculated. I grew up with a friend, and he came to Jesus. And he came out of the worst possible atmosphere, the streets, essentially. And with just him going home, he brought his entire family to the Lord. Even his cousins were coming to church and worshiping with us. One believer can be a thermostat in their home. Recap, our new life in Christ affects every area of our lives, especially at home. In Christ, everyone is equal, but are assigned different roles in the family. Wives are to willingly submit to their husband's leadership, and husbands are to lovingly lead their wives while submitting to Christ. Children are to obey the Lord through obeying their parents, and parents are to lovingly disciple their children. 
Obedience to God's assignments is where family members will find the greatest unity, joy, peace, and love. And here's your challenge for this week. What is something your parents have been asking you to do that you've been putting off, that you've been avoiding, that you've been procrastinating? Or what is something that you do just begrudgingly, gritting your teeth, rolling your eyes? What is that thing? And remember, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Do it for them. Do it for them for the sake of who you serve, that you serve a Lord even beyond them. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and thank you for pouring your love into your families. Lord, everyone here represents a different family structure. Some may have never seen anything like this before. Some may be questioning whether this is really biblical or not. Is Pastor Dominic totally off his rocker right now? And Lord, some have seen this perhaps very abused. Fathers using scripture to dominate their wives and their children. Lord, I pray that you will cut through the flaws, cut through the dysfunction, and begin to build into your sons and daughters tonight the building blocks of future homes that will thrive. Lead them, those in here who you are calling to be married, lead them to men and women of God who love your word, who are submitted to you. And Lord, I pray as sons and daughters in here, as children, that they will obey their parents because this pleases you. Help them, Lord. And Lord, I pray that they'll begin to see the atmosphere change around them as they do. Lord, I surrender all these things to you. You are gracious and kind and full of love for us. Bless the e-groups, bless the e-group leaders. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.